You're listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Hello and welcome to the fifth writer's interview. Commander Drew Wager here doing my bit for Lave Radio by invitation of Commander Forrester. Today I've taken a trip to Lave itself, staying on the friendly side of Ridquat, I hasten to add, in order to visit the author of The Revolution. He's a senior lecturer, film and TV production at Bucks New University, holder of a master's degree in science fiction and fantasy world building, author of the fantasy series The Wissamer Tales, available at all good bookshops, and I suspect a few dodgy ones as well, Live role player, composer, blogger, and of course, a long-time elite fan. Welcome back to Lave Radio, Mr. Alan Stroud. Hi, Drew. Thanks to you for the introduction. Very, very uh, dizzying, that was, really. (laughs) 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 Listening to you recount those back. Did I Um, I miss anything? uh, Did I miss anything? Eater of biscuits. Ah, Uh, yes, yes. And drinker of tea. Yeah, drinker of tea. Drinker of tea in my very, very fashionable, one-of-a-kind Lave Revolution mug tonight, actually. I, you know... I did go and get myself one. Revolution. Are you allowed to do that as part of the writer's pack? I, must just... I, I have no idea, but I did decide to go and get myself one Lave Revolution mug. I'm going to put that as a note to self, I think. Go get myself one. That sounds like a good idea. I can point you in a good direction to get yourself a reclamation mug. Yeah, I think that would be that would be good. So I was particularly interested, actually, from your Kickstarter page to see that you are a fellow original elite player because an awful lot of people seem to be only into Frontier onwards. So I noticed there was a really great quote on your page there which said, Elite was a great escape after a rubbish day at school, which kind of really appealed to me. So do you want to give us a little bit of a flavour of, of, of your original Elite uh, memories? Yeah, it was to start with, I actually I went to a friend's house and played it on his Acorn Electron. And if he's listening, because he does occasionally listen to Lave Radio, that would be James Holland. Hi, James, <laughs> if you're out there. Yeah, no, I used to go around to his house to play it on his Acorn Electron. And actually, I spent more time watching him play the game and sitting there with the manual mm. and reading the dark wheel. Occasionally, I'd be the guy who launched the missiles or uh, did the ECM system, but I, I didn't do much. And it wasn't until a couple of years after that that I then got it on the Amstrad because I got a an Amstrad CPC. I think I was I was sort of teenager at uh, at secondary school. You know those kind of years 
where you don't enjoy your time mm. you know sort of for me it was the middle years it was the first couple of years I was kind of one of the brightest at the class and everything else and that was fine but I went through a lesson at, at school where a piece of paper was put on our backs and we were asked to go around the room and write on each other's backs why we liked people and um, I took off my piece of paper at the end of this lesson and all of the comments were I like you because you know the answers mm. and so I sat there and went I really don't want to be this person I don't want to be the person who's always got my hand up and, and sort of knows everything so I, I basically I went off and um, joined an athletics club and, and got very fit and, and ran for the town and then was at the county trials and everything else and got to a point sort of in the middle of that when I realized that my friend group around me the only thing they were doing as well was actually was hanging around with me because I could do their math homework and so I at that point that penny dropped I got out of that group of people found another group of friends and actually that transition period was really difficult and that's where Elite came in, because what would happen is I'd go to school, I'd have quite a mixed time at school. And I, I'm not trying to angle a sympathy vote here. You know, I was very socially unaware as a, as a kid at that age as well. And, you know, and I completely acknowledge that sometimes it can be better to keep your mouth shut than actually tell people when they're wrong. Mm. Um, I still have that problem. <laughs> Even now. Um, we'll get to that, we'll get to that one later yeah yeah no, absolutely but the point <laughs> being is that i was that kind of person i was quite abrasive in that regard i think sometimes that can be my uh my worst enemy at times but anyway what would happen is i'd come through some of those days at school and they would be difficult and so i'd come home and here was an escape usually an evening was a decision of whether i was going to play that whether i was going to read lord of the rings or whether i was going to play a, another computer game i think uh, war in middle earth which was a you know, a really good Tolkien-esque little thing on the Amstrad, which actually was rubbish now you look at it. But at the time, it had a map and it was cool. Or Laser Squad. And it was it was one of those things that basically would grab me. And that I would play. And I would play and play and play. And with the thing with Elite was, because it said in the manual there were generation ships, and because it said in the manual there were space dredgers, yep. <laughs> I went looking for them. <laughs> Fantastic. And I spent days looking for them i'd look at the other ships when the other ships came by i'd wonder if those were players mm. i couldn't get out of my head that, that they could be potentially that could be a player you know you do your first sort of few weeks of playing the game and you you end up with a criminal record because you've shot loads of stuff and then i stopped shooting things because i was worried that i was going to shoot players yeah. and of course i have no understanding at all of how computer networks worked or anything else but there was a power cable in the wall yeah, maybe it was maybe maybe it was talking to something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I can definitely subscribe to what you're saying. I do remember shooting up ships, and then they would launch escape pods. And to start with, I'd shoot the escape pods down or scoop them. Yeah, and they turned into slaves, I think, on the original game. And then I remember thinking and feeling guilty about it. And then, yeah. part of my brain was going, "This is a computer game. You know, you've never felt wrong about splatting billions and billions of space and space yeah. and But here you are, and, and it was almost like the game began to write itself you think there were people in these ships and there were people in in the escape yeah. modules and they had a story and, and the whole thing started going even even back then yeah absolutely absolutely and you heard rumors of there being particular pieces of plot associated with the game out there because i think most people when they played the original game they got to the the stage where you had the the sun is going nova will you help us yes or no you know and you had that whatever system it was and it was always randomly generated so you, it was always different but of course you didn't know that so you had that system where the sun was going nova and you had to fuel scoop fuel off the sun and then hyperspace out with the fuel because you don't have any fuel in your ship and that never worked i can never get that to work yeah <laughs> course i then had to go back to a previous saving and buy an intergalactic hyperdrive 
and then get to the <laughs> get to the game. Yeah, that was the only way out of that mission, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. But of course, because that's one hint of plot that was inside the game, if anybody else then said to you, actually, there's another mission. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You went hunting for it. I, I always remember that people told me about Tybe Died. Apparently there was a mission at Tybe Died about destroying the space station. And I, I, I did I get there? Did I ever? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The universe definitely had a, a you know, almost an inbuilt suspension of disbelief that kind of came along with it, didn't it? It, it? it drove your imagination. I mean, I I analysed it myself a little bit and I kind of put it down to the fact that although it was vast because it was procedurally generated, it was, it was very homogenous, it was very similar, and you had mm. little snippets of missions that kind of changed. Yeah. You were forced almost, and those of us who it really grabbed and you know have gone on to write stories about it and, and really get, lose ourselves in that universe, we were almost primed and forced to inject our own imagination in there by the nature of this blank canvas that was kind of presented yeah i agree it was the absence of story that made you create a story yeah i think it was such a rich environment that didn't seem to have a story inside it that made you try and fill that story together i i think it still takes a certain type of mind i think it was you know a particular type of person that that sort of was grabbed by that but but certainly that absolutely was the the thing that made me start to make things up about where I was, who I was, what was happening. You know, I used to park up, just watch stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you think about that now. You think about the poor graphics you were looking at. But I would. I'd just park up and watch these ships go by and watch the trading lane and you and this and the other. Yeah. And which just was strange. But that was part of the, the imagination. And, you were, you know, you were just in it. Yeah. You know? yeah. it, it did drive that effect. It was, it was quite mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Really good. So the other elite games, then you're similar to me in that sense that you know the original game made a big impact. But what, what did you think of Frontier and, and First Encounters? I got a copy of Frontier. I didn't play Frontier. I played it twice. <laughs> Purple Space killed it for me. Purple Space absolutely killed it for me at the time. That unfortunately the suspension of disbelief just disappeared because the space was purple oh. now one of the things i loved about frontier was that in the soundtrack you had Magorsky's night on bear mountain yep and that is one of my favorite pieces of classical music ever i absolutely adored the fact that it was in there but i didn't play it very much at all one of my friends did and you know and i'd go around there and i'd see these other bits and pieces and i learned a little bit more of the history and i at one point i remember and this has come up quite interestingly recently. I remember he was flying through the systems and he came to Jameson's wreck. Okay. I suddenly went, Jameson's wreck? But that's the commander from the from the first game. And you know, and I made the connection between the two and I asked him, What where, where are the other connections? Where does this all fit together? And you know, and I read the stuff in the Gazetteer and I sort of looked at the stuff on the screen and it, it didn't really tell you how mm. this Jameson's wreck fitted in with the commander Jameson of the first game. And I, you know, I was kind of that always puzzled me and that stayed with me for a long period of time. And um then recently Andre was set to doing his book on Commander Jameson. Yeah. Commander yeah. Jameson history and so of course at that point when he did i then was able to, to have a chat with andre and, and sort of help flesh out the background around um the jameson family and the other references to jameson in the other games so you know it was really really interesting right that was probably one of my abiding memories of frontier yep, um, yep. first encounters now first encounters again i think i bought it but i then my abiding experience of first encounters was going around to a friend's and it turning up on basically express delivery and him opening this box incredibly excited throwing it into the computer and it not loading 
<laughs> was that, was that on then, the PC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, then a bug, you know, and then a problem, and then a this. And basically watching his excitement just sort of evaporate because this game was so frustratingly not ready for release which was such a shame you know i got to look through the booklet and everything else and you know and had a look at the stuff and it was you know it was very cool and you know i was very sort of diverted i mean we were there to to do something else i think we were playing dungeons and dragons or something but he got this thing and we were all oh yeah yeah okay chris let's have a look at this oh 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 yeah I, I do remember hearing it was full of bugs, but I didn't realise it was kind of virtually unplayable out of the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't remember which version he had, whether he had the CD version or the the floppy version. But there was something that was basically saying, oh, yeah, there's these problems with this version. You need to try this version. And you could just see the light in his eyes. Yeah. I've got to do all this to make that really... Oh, OK. So, yeah, it, it, I watched the elite effect, the presence that the game and the game world had amongst some of the friends that I had, I watched it evaporate. Before we jump into kind of now, what did you do with the 20 years in between? Did you did you sort of forget about it or did it, was um, it in the back of your mind? There, there were a few things I did. I tried to recapture it in, in several ways. I don't know if you've ever heard of the computer game Battle Cruiser 3000 mm-hmm. by Derek Smart, which was originally released really stupid idea to release a computer game and hire a page three model on a back cover of i think you know it was one of the magazines of the time with this this computer game in the middle sort of saying she really wants it which you know ridiculous but i bought this game thinking you know this might be elite and again it was very difficult game to get into because there was no manual with it but it was procedurally generated but it was really difficult i played vga planets i played pax imperia i played all sorts of sort of space um, strategies and, and space sims and, and different things to try and sort of recapture and nothing did nothing really did mm. the only one through that process the only one i didn't play and there was a specific reason because it hit me at a particular age when i thought you know what that will take my life away was eve okay and yeah, yeah i never played eve and i didn't play eve specifically because i looked at him when if i start playing that i won't stop yeah so and later obviously i then um, heard that it's not really a simulator. It's point and click and this, that, and the other, which I probably wouldn't like, yeah. to be perfectly yeah. honest. The, but the, the only ones that occurred to me in kind of time period were the sort of Wing Commander series. Yeah, no, I, I had all, all um, Wing Commander 1 and Wing Commander 2 and uh, and some of the expansions. I had to wait until I got an upgrade on the computer for Wing Commander 3, but I had Wing Commander 3. Privateer, Privateer yep. 2. Privateer 2, oh, I tried to get Privateer 2 to work again when, um, when I got Windows XP and it wouldn't. But um, that was, you know, that looked great. And, you know, it was, was really, really stunning to look and watch. What else did I play? X-Wing, TIE yeah, Fighter. They were, they were um, good. X-Wing Alliance. I mean, the, the control model for X-Wing was, was amazing. The cutscenes, though, in Wing Commander were amazing. So, you, you know, kind of had all these experiences. And I loved all those things. I then, more recently when I started to revisit going back to this with the a higher spec computer, I played X2 a lot, yep. which I think is probably the closest experience to a modern elite game other than the open source versions, you know, Ulight or, or anything else. But the X series it has a very similar edge to it. Some of the ships have a similarity. Some of the enemies have a similarity. Kind of look at it and think whoever wrote this. Definitely played elite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they looked at Elite and they went, one of those is a bit like one of those and one of those is a bit like one yeah. of those. But yeah, I love the the X series and basically that brought me brought well, me kind of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you find out about the Elite Dangerous business? This is quite a story. I found the Kickstarter very early on because I was looking through Kickstarter, looking at a couple of other 
projects that um, you know, had come up before. And actually, we were taking a professional interest in it in one of the modules I was teaching. Okay. Uh, looking at crowdsource funding and uh, and a couple of other things. So I found it, I think, 12 hours in. And so I looked at it for the first couple of days. And I watched the massive amount of money just, just go straight in. Because it, it was huge, wasn't it? It was about 200,000, yeah. I think, in the first day. And I, looked and I thought, I thought, wow, this, this is going to get funded. This is thing from my youth is coming back. This is going to be really cool. Okay, well, you know, we're in the middle of term time now. So I'll, I'll leave it for a bit. And I'll, I'll come back and look at it a bit later. And we'll see if there's maybe some stuff I can do for a lecture or something with it. And, uh, you know, we can kind of look at this a bit later. And so I left it for a few weeks. And you've got to bear in mind, October and November and you know, December is probably the hardest period of my year. Yes. That is, that is when I am teaching flat out. So, you know, I do do an awful lot at that point in time. So I was, you know, I was pretty much not doing anything else, really. And I also had two books that I was uh, publishing over Christmas. So I was trying to get those finished. And so I got those out, I think, about the 16th of December. And I, I broke up from university sort of at the end of that week. So I kept looking at the Kickstarter over the Christmas period. And at that point, it hadn't gone so well. And it was looking a bit dicey. It got into was... that middle section, didn't it, where there was only about four or £5,000 a day coming in. Yeah, was I was way off course. Thinking, oh, <laughs> oh, God, that's, this is going to, you know, it's not necessarily going to get there. And I, I kind of, looking at that, I kind of thought, well, I want to pledge on this, but I didn't understand Kickstarter at all. I had no knowledge of how the pledging system worked. I got through the pledge pages a couple of times and got that kind of bit of fear of if I click another page, have I committed anything, you know? Sort of, <laughs> sort of PayPal mentality. Yeah, yeah, I, got, I, I didn't understand it. I was kind of, and, and of course, the, the thing that I always do, you know, if we, if we well, you know, I get told off if I don't, if we're going to make a commitment here, then I, I, you know, I have to sort of talk to Karen about whatever we're going to do or anything else. So, so that was fine. So anyway, so we got through, you know, and it, it was ticking down and ticking down. Suddenly the finance and the, the money, the fund on there started to spike. It started to really go up. And I thought, wow, yes, it's gonna, it's actually going to make it. At that point, I understood Kickstarter. Suddenly I could see how this worked. And I put in looking at the pledge rewards, which I think most people do. They kind of initially, they look at the pledge rewards. Um, and they don't necessarily think about how much they want the game to succeed. They think about what can I get out of what a purchase price effectively. So I did that. And then I kind of went, well, actually, I want to, you know, actually, I'm more about supporting this because I started to then at that point properly read the comments page and see just, you know, people were involved and and everything else. And, and you know, and that's quite seductive. It's quite attractive. It's a good system that Kickstarter have. So I put a little bit more in and I think I was up to, you know, sort of about 80 pounds or something around there. OK. And at that point, I then noticed the writer's pack. And this must be only about two days before the end of the Kickstarter. I noticed the writer's pack. Wow, okay. It had been out, um, I mean, the writer's pack came along, I think, from what I recall, about 10 days into the Kickstarter. So, yeah. uh, But of course, I, I hadn't even thought about the idea of me writing something. Because, you know, the thing is, is I've been very focused on the two books I was producing and, and very focused as a fantasy writer. Yep. Uh, even though, you know, science fiction is something that, you know, is sort of part and parcel of, of part of what I do. But I'd been very focused on those particular things. And I, so I hadn't even looked down the page. OK, because it was at the bottom, of course. And I was kind of incrementing down towards, oh, well, DDF. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, oh, I'd, I'd, you know, but I'd have to talk to Karen and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, I kind of zeroed in on where I was. And then I noticed this thing at the bottom and I stayed up to the end and I was on the comments thread at the end. And I actually I think I posted the Churchill quote. <laughs> David Raven <laughs> put it out 
So I, it was kind of a moment of stealing thunder, which I was, you know, I was not necessarily. Uh... It, at the time, it, it, you know, it was quite funny. I'm sure. He, so. I'm sure he'll forgive you. Yeah, no, I think I think he probably has. But <laughs> but it was an hour before the end, and I I was staring at that writers' pack, and Karen had gone to London with some friends. And uh, she was out for a drink, you know, so she said, yeah, we're going to stay over or, you know, come back later on the train. Can you pick me up from the train station at about one or two in the morning? Yeah, fine. No problem. Mm. So, I, you know, I knew I'd be staying up and watching this. And I, I just I had to ring her and I rang her and I said, look, I'm tempted to buy a writer's pack. And she said, well, you can't. <laughs> I said, but we probably could afford it if we. Yes. No, you're not doing this. <laughs> No, she'd had a bottle of wine, yeah, you know, and everything else, and she had to talk me out of buying a writer's pack at that point. And I knew she was right, you know. I backed away from it, and that was that was fine. But at that point, I then thought, well, what else can I do? So I then contacted two of the writers whose kickstarters I could find, which was I think it was Boz and uh, Kate Russell, and contacted them and said, look, you know, this is my background, um, this is what I do. Do you want a hand? Okay. I'll yeah. editing for you or something, you know, whatever you want me to, you know, to sort of look at. And they both both replied really positively and said, yeah, you know, we really like hands, you know, blah, blah, blah. So having contacted them and also having two books out, I thought, well, actually, you know what? I've got a master's in doing some of this stuff and I've, I've done all these other things. Why don't I just approach Frontier and talk to them and see if they need a hand? Okay. Cool. And yeah. so, you know, Michael had posted a couple of emails up on the forum. So I, I PM'd Michael and said, you know, do you want a hand? And he said, well, what sort of thing do you do? Well, this is what I do. And this is my research area. And these are the other bits and pieces. Yeah, we'd love a hand. Uh, here's, yeah, here's our actual email addresses. Okay, fine. All right. Well, if you could send me a couple of, yeah, okay. And actually, one of the other things I've done a couple of years ago is I, I produced this, this game world that I ran a live role playing game for. And I basically, I, I produced all these little guidebooks all the different sort of species and races and everything else and so i said to him well look these are the formats of things that i've produced in the past and this is the kind of method and structures that i've used you know just thought it might be useful so he came back and said okay well i've, I've copied david braben in and uh, and some of the others um you know here's what we've got what can you do okay wow so you kind of got um you, you got you got invited into the inner sanctum then when they sent me what they had i looked at it and went right Okay, so I then went and ransacked the loft for my copy of Frontier yep. and just started compiling and cribbing out everything that I possibly could. And I have to say, most of January is a bit of a blur. Because you're just <laughs> researching, I imagine, yeah. I have some of our listeners probably haven't seen a lot of the, the documentation that we now have in the Writers Forum, but I mean, you're aware of it. Mm. A great deal of that documentation, and, and some of it's not released yet. Some of it will, you know, will sort of filter through when it's approved. Essentially, my role has been to concept write. I've sat there and I've I've pulled out loads of stuff and then I've just tried to join it all together. And if Frontier want to keep it, great. It appears in the writer's forum. If they don't want to keep it, they decide not to use it. And I'm entirely not precious about that in any way, shape or form. I don't mind what they use, what they don't use. But that's been a lot of work. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, I, I mean, having been on the receiving end of what's been produced, um, I mean, it, it really is valuable stuff. I mean, a lot of what I've done with my story has kind of been very strongly influenced by the the background material on the empire for example which is which is what my story is all about and you know, without that you know the stories would be much less cohesive i think 
um, when when they're yeah. all on the pitch together next year, you know, they'll all have common themes and flavours because because of that work. Uh, you know, that, yeah, that is an essential that. glue, I think, for all the narrative um, structures that we're going to have. I, I think so, and I hope so. And I think the the key thing really was that. You know, I kind of looked at what they had to start with and it was a blueprint. It wasn't what we have now. And I also I looked at the material that was already published. And I, Do you remember? I don't know if you remember on the forums when you put a question up about when Frontier First Encounters was set and when the new game would be set. Yes. And I replied about there being a load of history after the setting of Frontier First Encounters. Do you remember? Yes. The, yes. I, I, I wasn't aware of it. So uh... I was I was absolutely embroiled in all the research at that point in time. And you had put this date up of when stuff was. And I had all this extra documentation that said that wasn't the right date. And I was sitting there going, oh, oh no, 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 no. And <laughs> which is hilarious because, of course, we later then found out that most of the stuff I'd, I'd accrued very quickly was actually was fan fiction. So we then had to delete all of it and we had to, you know, to come back to the correct dates, which was, you know, was really interesting. But at the time, of course, I was desperate to make sure everything was right so I could, you know, I could put it forwards. And so anyway, so, you know, I, I sort of structured everything together and I wrote most of the, the documentation from very, very sort of loose date entries, which if anyone's read the Frontier Gazetteer, they know there's these very small date entries of early history. And then you have, you know, the information from, from each of the planets. I wrote a historical document, a document that effectively could sit next to a, another history book and kind of tied everything together in terms of dates and times and inserted a little bit of stuff and, you know, and sort of joined it all. Because it's, it's, it's useful because I know, um, and we should give a, a, a mention, honourable mention to Dave Hughes here as well, because really? I used his timeline as it was way before this Kickstarter stuff happened for my for my kind of elite novels, which are obviously not official at all. But the fact that he'd gone through everything in Elite and Frontier and First Encounters kind of independently and, and, and chopped and changed it and put it all together into some sort of cohesive form, you know, was, was a great use to me. And having that kind of yeah, having him also brought in um, mm. that structure and then that thing formalised. You know, there is a official timeline now, which of course we tantalising our listeners now because they can't see it. <laughs> but it, you know, it's really nice that a his work was included, which is kind of a nod to yeah. fans, and but b also that Frontier's taking the history of the Elite Universe that seriously, and and they are taking it very seriously indeed, aren't they? Absolutely. No, I, I actually, I, I contacted Dave to start with, having viewed his website when, when they, they said to me, can you start putting something together? And I, I viewed his website and I thought, this is amazing. This yeah. this answers so many questions. And so I approached Dave before I, I think I drafted one copy of a, a bit of stuff with a few of his bits in and sent that to Michael and it, it, literally at the same time. And so I contacted Dave and said, hi, my name's Alan. Um, this is what I'm doing. I'd like to have a discussion with you about couple of key things in relation to how this all fits together and he came back to me and was sort of a little bit curious as to why and so I sort of talked about you know my academic credentials and everything else and then gradually when Frontier had decided that actually this was something they wanted to use and they, they liked what they had I then started to pull Dave into that circle mm. and, and suggested to Michael that we added Dave to the you know to the exchange which was uh, was fantastic and I mean He's held a candle for, for so long. Yeah, yeah. And a far more than many of really, us, actually. <laughs> absolutely. And that really is important yeah. because if he hadn't, you know, no matter what changes, really, you know, because, I mean, there will be things that will change. They won't be the same as the way in which he's written them. won't be the same in the way in which I've written them. At the end of the day, David Braben decides the way in which he wants it to be. And that's, you know, that's entirely fine. But the fact that he has held a candle for that long yeah. has so assisted us to to provide something that is robust 
And I think that was the key thing. And, and, you know, when the writers came into the writers forum, that was, you know, the sort of the aim and objective was to provide guidebooks that were robust. Yeah people could look at and go and okay they've changed and sort of they get revised and what have you as people look at them more but they give a very concrete sort of understanding it was so nice to have writers come into that forum and then to see the comments when they downloaded the books and went wow actually we we were worried but wow yeah because there was a there was a there was there was stack loads of detail in it and i think the um the one that i mean again we, we we can't we can't talk too much about it because other people can't see it. But there was one document which was kind of the politics of the the universe, which certainly for me was kind of like, aha, that's ex- this is like gold dust. This is yeah. exactly what I need. And and reading through that, it was kind of you know somebody's gone through, thought about it, typed it up, put it into a nice easy read format. It's in a word document. I can access it, use it. And it, it it's the, it's the distillation of everything I need to write a story in this universe. It's fantastic. Absolutely, and it, it's such a nice collaborative thing in that I read Dave Hughes' website. Having read Dave Hughes's website, that told me the level in which I had to write at yeah. to make it acceptable. It couldn't be worse. No. It couldn't be less. It had to be as good as. And at the same time, when Frontier then took my documents, when they problematized and changed them, if they wanted to delete stuff, that was fine. But they also had to look at it and go, well, if we're going to change things, we've got to come up with something else. Mm. And that was that was perfectly fine, you know, and some of the improvements, you know, I mean, were tremendous. I mean, you know, some of the revisions that are, that are in there now are, are really, really clever stuff. And then, of course, sending off different parts of the workload. I, you know, I, I can't claim to have done them all in any way, shape or form. You know, you've got TJ looking at, at the Thargoids, yeah, yeah. which will be very interesting when, uh, you know, when more information on that comes out. So it's formed a, an incredible bed of material. So there are currently three books are drafted of the, the main political area. You've got the Empire, the Alliance and the Federation. Mm. We've got draft of the Thargoid book is there. And then there's covert operations and corporations are still to come. And then there's the Galcop book as well. Yeah, the Galcop so, stuff, yeah. It's good. It can be interesting to see how that one uh, ends up because... You know, David done a lot of work on that one, which I must admit I quite admired because you know, there have been so many changes between Elite and Frontier that it was virtually impossible to make it all fit, but he managed it anyway. And, and yeah, to, get, to get the Frontier's take on, on what he's come up with will be, will be really good. But it's nice, I mean, particularly for me, and I think you know, a lot of the fans who are really into the game, it's mm. comforting to see that the fan fiction and the fan imagination you know, there were 20, 25,000 backers and, you know, there must be yeah. hundreds of thousands of people who actually played the game. Their input in in small to sometimes quite big ways is being reflected in, in the game. Absolutely. I mean, those of us that are doing some of the work and what have you, we are involved fans, you know, and I think some of the people, you know, obviously that work at Frontier as well, they're involved mm. fans. But it is nice to see just how, how involved that community is in the whole process yeah. because... That way we can create something that everybody owns, and I think that's that's important. Yeah. Obviously, you've still got the top of all of that. You have one person who effectively can say yes, no, yeah. but you kind of need that. You know, yeah. um, it, it, feels, it feels rather like the Star Wars George Lucas thing, doesn't it? Where lots and lots of artists <laughs> would chuck ideas in, and then he'd kind of like, yeah. yes, no, yeah. you, know, and you have a you have a filter, yeah. you, know, with, yeah. uh, you know, and and at the end of the day, you know, as the as the architect of the world that you're working in. You know, he has the absolute right to do that, and that's that's yep. perfectly fine. And I'm not one of those people that gets precious about stuff in any way, shape, or form. If people can can come up with something better, then I'm happy for them to do so. Wow. Um, so yeah. Well, we should probably segue straight on to your, your project. We haven't talked about what you're doing yet. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. So, no, that's, so, that's, that's fine. Yeah, so your project is very interesting to me. And I think you know, my, my first question for you is, um, 
you, you must have balls the size of grapefruits, really, because you're dealing with Lave, which is you know, the planet we all started from. Every single elite pilot came out of the space station. The first thing they saw in front of them was, was the planet Lave. And, and you're basically taking the history of this planet and writing what happens to it post, post the original games and prior to Elite Dangerous. So that's, that's a big thing to be taking on, that, that responsibility. It's not, it's not something I would do. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was actually, I don't think at the end of the Kickstarter, I could have envisaged doing this book. Mm. Um, and I don't think there was the material available to do this book. I think through the process of working on the guides, we gradually sort of formalized a process of, of doing this. And I quite plainly, I at the end of the Kickstarter, when I'd contacted Michael and I'd contacted the, the rest of the Frontier team, I did, you know, I sort of said at the time, I kind of feel like I'm the only guy without a prom dress, as it were. You know, everybody else that's involved is either doing something or, or this, that and the other. So I said, well, what about an idea? Could I do something on covert intelligence or something? And I, I'd already scheduled to write these other books. I was writing my third Wissamere book. I'd, I'd sort of scheduled a couple of other things around for this year. And I was kind of realizing just how much input I was I was having and how much investment I was, I was having in the, the initial material for the writers and thinking, well, this is a big commitment. And... Well, now we're at a stage where we've got a lot of this documentation together. Lave needs a story. Okay. Because at the end of the day, it is the planet that everybody started on. It is the place that Elite began, and it has a very special place in the hearts of uh, so many of the players. If it doesn't have a story, then Lave is a bit like me without my progress. <laughs> Lave has to have a story. Because I, so, I think even the Dark Wheel started at Lave, as I recall, didn't it? And they hmm, hyperspaced yeah. out from Lave to somewhere else. And um, yeah, it's so yeah, there, there is history there, like you said, oh, yeah. or if that's the right word for something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, there's. You know, I've been picking up all sorts of tiny things, like you know, in one of the the 16-bit versions of the game, I think it was Elite Plus. It mentions Lave has hoopy casinos. That's it. Yeah. Like, oh, all oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, right. Well, let's make sure that fits in. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I, you know, and I've obviously I've looked at some of the stuff that Dave has, has posted in relation to his sort of ideas of what Lave might be. And I kind of looked and I, I just said, you know, this place needs a story. And if, if we don't give it a story, it's not going to have one. When Frontier came out, when First Encounters came out, the, the focus of the game changed towards uh, the relationship between Earth and, and Akinar and, yep. and Alioth and everything else. And Lave is a backwater in that regard. It's not really at the centre of that politics. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that's one of the, the things that struck me about the later games when I eventually came across and researched them a bit. Because, you know, like you say, in the original Elite, Lave was the centre of Gal Cop and it was the administrative headquarters and that's where all the pilots got their licences and all that kind of good stuff. And then, like you say, in Frontier... Lave is miles away from the action. I mean, it's still there, but it's it's almost just a bit part, isn't it? It's it's got a mention, yeah, uh, but nothing nothing important happens there anymore. Uh, and it's a long way from um, you know, long way from kind of the centre of everything. And I think, um, as I recall, if you started at Lave, you you had to pay a fine, didn't you? To you did, yes. Which seemed very very harsh to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of some sort of you know sort of hold over towards what what Gal Cup was or yeah. or everything else and you know and and because yeah, it was the old worlds and what have you and you know these these sort of redundant systems and uh, yeah so you know I mean all of that had a, a sort of a connection and everything else and I I kind of thought well so so there's past history here in terms of you know the mechanics of the of the game itself and the development behind the scenes and everything else there's history there anyway but 
if we're drawing a completely new canvas for Elite Dangerous, and some of these players who are coming to play this game maybe are like me in that they played Elite and they didn't play Frontier and Frontier First Encounters that much, they maybe know the history or what have you, or, or soak it up before the game you know sort of develops um, and comes out. But their abiding memory is playing Elite and coming out of the Lave Space Station. Yeah, I've got to do something for them. That's my audience. Well, uh, that's, that's yeah, I mean, that, I, I found your one particularly fascinating for exactly that reason because I, I count myself in that camp of original Elite players. And, you know, we're the old guard, really, aren't we now? <laughs> with, with rusty Mark III Cobras and still thinking that all this newfangled uh, plasma accelerator stuff, oh, I'm having that on my spaceship, you know. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, the fact that there's this... And, and, and I think Dave Hughes is in the same camp in the sense that he's he's pushed that Galcop agenda, even though Galcop, Galcop in the elite dangerous timeline in terms of where we are, you know, in the... Yeah, in 3300 AD, um, is long gone as a political entity. It, it's still important because it was there back in the days of elite, which I think is about 175 years before in in the timeline. And it, it, it's it's great to have that aspect of it sort of still being preserved. Yeah, and I, I think so. And I think as well, as I say, you want something that kind of makes people who come to the game new see something that's a rich tapestry because all these layers even though there might be disagreements and there might be a certain amount of uh, of retroactive continuity you know put in to kind of change a few things to make them fit Mm. the fact that you have these layers anyway is one of the things that makes the game feel quite so grandiose and feel quite so epic in terms of what you're discovering yeah because if we just turned up now with a game that essentially you pressed the space bar and you launched out the space station and there wasn't very much backstory or anything else associated with it it wouldn't be the thing that you know we have envisaged and it wouldn't perhaps pass on to the next generations of people who are going to play these kind of games it wouldn't pass on the same kind of vision that we had then because at the time when elite was out there was nothing like it and you had this story from robert holstock and you had these little clues in the in the manual and those things created that emotional trigger and now of course there is so much more media and other games and all sorts of plethora of things out there we've got to do something really innovative and really special to preserve and to and to stimulate that kind of detailed grandiose epic imagination again and so that's why really for my mind if it's going to be preserved in the minds of the next people that are going to play it from the people that did play it before, Lave needs a story. Mm. No, that's fantastic. So you're, you're taking it from a dictatorship. You've got an interesting chap, Dr. Hans Walden. I was going to ask you, is, is, he, is he your creation or is he a character that exists in one of the Gazetta? If you read the Frontier Gazetteer, you will find him listed in the entry for Lave. It is known that Lave has been a dictatorship through the, the last three games anyway. Okay. Um, so all of that is canon information and has been the way in which things are. And when we get to the new game, there's been a revolution. Okay, fantastic. So is, is, is that something that you've you've created, or is that something you kind of negotiated with Frontier as part of the Lave story? Or, or did, they, uh, did they have a democracy in mind for Lave in, in Elite Dangerous? When they sent me the original information on this is what we're going to do, they sent me a blueprint map of the old star map from Frontier. Okay. Yeah. With, with a bit of a sprinkling on it as to how some of the 
star areas had moved. All right, so you've seen you've seen even more privileged information. <laughs> I, I have I have only seen, and I you know I'll, I'll be I'll be perfectly plain in this. I have only seen a, a you know because I mean you and I both know, and of course they've now published that they're changing the star map into a full three dimensional yeah. uh, system, yeah. which, which is you great know, actually because it means it's yeah I mean it's fantastic yeah. and it's you know it's going to make it make it incredible. But the only thing I had from that map is I knew that the different galactic powers had moved in terms of what systems they controlled and so on. Which, which makes so sense, because bit, um, you know, time has moved on. You know, we're 50 years yeah. from where we were, so it doesn't absolutely. surprise that the boundaries have changed a bit. No, no, absolutely. You know, There's a few places that have altered a little bit. And one of those, you know, as I used my magnifying glass into this, this JPEG, one of those I, I sort of schooled in and I went, oh, that's Lave. Okay, something's happened. Okay. And that's all I had. You know, I had something as, you know, they'd probably not done very much in, in terms of thinking about what had happened. So I thought, all right, well, if you want that to change, how about this happens? And so they then went, okay. And then I said, well, could I write a book about that? You went fishing, basically. That's excellent. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so essentially that was where we, you know, where we kind of got to. And, um, you know, and that's kind of the blueprint of, of what we're going to do. Now, really, as I said at the, the start, I could not have envisaged writing this book without the additional information already there as we produce the guides, because it just wasn't possible. At the end of the Kickstarter, we had no idea what the, the plans or anything else were. And that blueprint and, you know, and that initial material it didn't give any detail. It wasn't a case of being able to necessarily see individual star systems and know specifically what was going on. It was just that was the galactic quadrant. Yeah. And a bit of, you know, there was a bit of sort of marking on that galactic quadrant that said, OK, well, this has changed. And I went, right. OK, then. So I'm going to do this with this. And, you know, and so that sort of built into the idea, which um, was kind of there. So, yeah, no, I, you know, that that's where it came from. And you know, it kind of slotted together. So, you know, that's where we are in terms of labor evolution. Wow. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to get my eyes on that. It sounds like it's going to be very interesting indeed. But you're not um, you're not just doing a book, are you? So this is where it gets even more exciting because um, one of the things that certainly, I'm sure, got a lot of interest on your Kickstarter was that uh, it's not just a book. You're, you're doing the film as well. And it's, well, yeah, it's, we're, just, we're... it's just fantastic. <laughs> we're going to try. We're um, we're basically because of the nature of my job. You know, I run a film and television course for nearly three hundred students mm. who have some incredible ability. You know, and some of them are incredibly talented with uh, the different work that they've done. Uh, we've got a full green screen facility. We had some second year decide for his science fiction piece that he submitted just before Easter about two weeks ago to build a starship cockpit. Oh, fantastic! Uh, so I have a Starship cockpit sat in one of the studios, which is very interesting. It's going to have to be modified slightly. It did originally have 50 mil screws sticking out of it, so I had to, to replace all those. But anyway, um, so we, we basically uh, we have that sort of facility available to us. And I kind of looked at this and I thought, well, if I'm going to commit all this time and effort to something, I need to make it part of my job. And I need to make it part of something that the students can be involved in. And a couple of students had actually had come to me before Christmas and said, we really do need, the course is great, we enjoy the course and everything else, but it would be lovely if there was some kind of project going on in the summer. Right. And so I thought, well, okay, this kind of fits. Let's try and see. And if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. You know, maybe I'll have a book, maybe I won't have a book. But we got funding, you know, we got funding for the Kickstarter. So the stretch goal was hit. And uh, thanks to some incredibly generous people, we're at a stage where we can we can look at doing the film. So is it part of the Labour Revolution story or is it a, yeah, it's, or a sequel or what, what is it? 
it is it's a spin-off story that fits in with uh the book itself and it will be released as as a free film for people to you know to have at the same time as the game okay um what will happen is it will focus on some of the characters who feature in the story and then it will spin into into the events of the revolution itself so there is a key moment that kicks off the revolution um which i'm not going to tell you there is a key moment there is a key moment that kicks off the revolution and the film focuses on one of the operations that occurs during this at this stage i've actually um since the kickstarter finished i've drafted two scripts to the potential director and he's looked at uh, both of those and sent me back so i'm on my third one uh <laughs> <laughs> so you're, moment, you're having which, experience <laughs> over yeah, and over again <laughs> It's entirely fine. I'm, I'm, yeah, to be honest, you know, we've kind of discussed it and said, you know, we want this to be good. Yeah, yeah. It needs to stretch. It needs to, you know, it needs to be, you know, really tight. And we've got to look at the ideas and what works and what doesn't. Um, so yeah, so we've, you know, we've kind of sort of tightened everything up to try and uh, to make that happen. So I'm, I'm in the middle of the third draft, and yeah, it will tie directly into the events of the revolution. So essentially, and I think, I mean, looking at the detail of the Kickstarter, anybody that explored. The pledge tears that i have there's quite a lot that basically it's it sort of it's like a bit like an onion this book in that there's the book itself and then there's an extra chapter and then there's something told from another perspective and then there's another bit that you get in terms of a report to find out a bit more about why this happened and so you know so actually the film kind of slots in as part of all of that okay so you get this this sort of very interlocked experience this very sort of transmedia experience across these these different things and i think that was intentional because I recognise that I'm writing a book that's associated with a game franchise. Yes. And I'm writing a book that I want to tie to other people's books too. So I'm quite keen to try and make something feel like it has different facets mm -hmm. to what went on. I'm a very big fan of texts that tell stories and they offer you different perspectives on those stories because they suddenly the event itself becomes more significant. I'm a complete Tolkien nut. I devoured Lord of the Rings as a child but the bit I love best was the appendices. I can, reason, I can subscribe to that. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. The reason, you know, some people sort of go, oh, you know, it's all the boring sort of, you know, but the reason I liked it is because it fired my imagination. And one of the books I discovered in later life was The Unfinished Tales. Yep. And if you've ever read The Unfinished Tales, there is a section in The Unfinished Tales that basically tells the Lord of the Rings from Sauron's perspective. Yes. And that was a revelation because suddenly, you know, you see why these things happen when they happen. Yeah. That to me, that's my almost my blueprint, as it were. You know, it's to kind of look at Lave and go, okay, well, this is the story of these particular events. And now here's what other people thought about it. And here's what these people thought about it. Meanwhile, this person was doing this. Yeah. You know, kind of really sort of you know, play around and, and make the event itself, the revolution itself, something multifaceted, because then it feels real. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. So the um, the film itself, I mean, you mentioned a green screen and um, other sorts of stuff. So um, I'm guessing um, yeah, you're, you're substituting backgrounds in there. So are you, are you planning to generate those yourself? Is that part of the, the student skill set you have? Uh, it's it's going to depend. Yeah, there's, there's one or two very talented students who uh, are very good with After Effects. There's one or two who are also good with uh, proper sort of three-dimensional environments as well, so using Maya and, uh, and View and a few other things. I've started, just at the end of the Kickstarter, I started playing around with a couple of these as well. I started playing around with Bryce mm. and, uh, and with View and uh, trying to generate effects. 
and generate a little bit of the content that we could use. I don't know really, I mean it's going to depend on what looks good. We've just had the science fiction submissions from my level five students come in and I'm marking those over the holiday and they've got one or two things in there where they've there's one student's produced a fantastic piece between two actors where they're in an office in a in a space city okay. you know he's done all the lighting and everything else and it's it's like Blade Runner and you've got this you know, this huge table that's got a data screen on it and he's done that with green screen and everything else which is very very clever yeah so we know we've got the ability it is really it is a case of finding a, a project that we could put some because i mean you know students can produce things for assignments you know that's fine but actually to have a project that we can produce that has a bit of money attached to it as a budget yeah and that they can, you know, that they can then showcase their skills with is a fantastic opportunity for them. So I'm going to write it. I'm then going to be a bit of the backstop, as it were. Yeah. So if we can't find people to do something, then it'll be, oh, you know, I'll, Stroudy can do that. I'll jump in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but um, I'm intentionally, I don't want to direct it. I'm, you know, I'm sort of, uh, I've got a friend who, who's very experienced. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we can find a script that he likes and uh, and he'll do that. And then, um, you know, we'll kind of see where the students are able to, to sort of fit in with it. But it's very exciting for them. And, of course, for the university as well to, to have a crowd-funded project this year to come out with a major computer game franchise next year is a wonderful opportunity. And it probably and, it plugs very well into kind of, um, I'm guessing, I haven't been a student for a long time, but, you know, the, the, the rise of social media and the crowdsourcing thing and Facebook and Twitter and everything else, um, to have a project that, A, is happening kind of now because of you know, the elite yeah. dangerous game coming out and everything else involved with that that must be very compelling as a as, oh. as a story yeah, as part of your coursework oh absolutely it's it's tremendous and it means as well that those students who get involved this summer you know they can look at that and they can put that down as as something they've done mm. you know that's a larger piece than they'll do for their their assignments and similarly as well as that you know once the university has done it once if we do it well, then potentially we'll go and, and, and speak to other computer game companies and say, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, the sky's the um, limit, literally, isn't it? <laughs> this is what we did before. Yeah. Are you yeah. interested in us doing something for your piece? And which is a you know a wonderful position to be in. So I'm delighted. And it really the funding for the film is very much about that opportunity i'll pitch in and do everything i possibly can to make that film as tremendous as possible but the funding for the film is about that opportunity for the university and for the students so i'm hoping that, uh, that it's going to fly and it's going to be amazing oh, that sounds brilliant I, I really look forward to seeing that actually i mean i think the idea of a film in the elite universe is something i would love to see I mean, i'd love to see it as a you know a feature length kind of epic film you know so many times i've watched sci-fi movies and gone yeah it's okay but it wasn't elite you know wouldn't it be great go to the cinema and watch Leo. This isn't quite that, but you know, it, it's certainly in the right direction and I'm I must admit, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I mean we've you know we'll get as far as we can go with the money that we've got. And some of the experience of the stuff that's been done before, we've done several pieces obviously the students have done themselves, but also the guy who's on to direct, he's got quite an extensive C V of bits and pieces that he's produced in the past. And, you know, they are very competently shot. They are very you know, he's he's into his explosions he likes his action, yep. um, and and he's he's a great set builder. So it will be very interesting to see what we get out of the mix. That'd be fantastic. Looking forward to it. So you know, you you follow on the heels of a number of of the other projects. There's loads of books. There's comic books. There's graphic books. There's a role playing game. What what were the other projects kind of around Elite Dangerous that you got excited about? What that you're interested in? 
What are you looking forward to seeing next year, obviously, apart from the game itself? The key thing for me has been, with producing all the guide information, where people have taken the information and started to think about what they're doing, that's been a, a sort of a wonderful experience to see people get creative about the things that you've already been creative about. From a professional point of view, as a writer, I'm looking forward to Reclamation. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Apologies for saying it, Drew, but I think... Of the writing that I've read, I'm looking forward to seeing what you can do with the mandate you've been given, because I think you will produce something that is tremendous. I shall see um, the uh, Lavian credits um, after the episode uh, completed. That's right. <laughs> no, I, you know, I just, I do, I do. I just think that um, given enough license, as it were, and I, I hasten not to say the word rope, um, <laughs> but given enough of license to operate within the environment that you want to operate in, I think you could produce something that's really, really tremendous. TJ's book will be very interesting because he's got specific... a very intriguing way of writing on his blog, actually, which I rather admire. So yeah, that, that's like I definitely agree with you on that one. You know, let's face it, all of us are intrigued about the Thargoids, and you know, it is a very strong component of the stuff that he's looking to write about. So that will be very interesting to see. The Tales book with all the uh, the different writers involved. There's a wonderful energy to that because they're all sort of grouped together and everything else, and they're all trying to do you know, a different story and so on and so forth. I think there is a wonderful energy there, and I think that will create something that, um, that could be really, really sort of amazing. I have to say I much prefer the Frontier Tales book than, uh, than the Frontier First Encounters one, but certainly if they can, they can capture anything of that, I think it will be a really good piece. Um, those, those sort of stories should be fun, actually. Yeah. yeah if you, you, short stories can be very kind of... Um, they're a bit like starters on a meal, aren't they? You kind of just begin yeah. to enjoy it and then they're over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Blood, I mean, but you get a lot of a lot of different flavours through, which is great. But I think, you know, I mean, hopefully what we'll do is through the whole process with um, with all of the books, gradually we'll manage to flesh out where they occur in the elite universe history. Mm. So we'll get an idea of canon across all the different things. And part of that, Andre's book talking about Jameson and, you know, and Jameson's history that's obviously that's going to feature quite heavily in terms of that. So you get almost a teasing glimpse into the way in which the story has progressed, as it were. And I guess in a way, because of what I've done, one of the things that's the Wizard of Oz phrase, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> one of the things that I've done by producing a lot of the historical material, I've kind of been behind that curtain and worked a few of the levers. And so to a point... Yep. Some of that mystery, some of that mystique. You always want to see the performance, not the stagehands. And some of that mystique, I guess, is is a bit different. But the excitement for me is seeing what other people will do. Yes, that is already there. That is going to be interesting. And like you say, we've seen some information that even the players of the game and you know, the people in the DDF won't see until the game goes live. Which is a bit, it's a bittersweet kind of thing, isn't it? It's kind of cool to be in there with it and seeing it and being part of developing it but it's kind of like oh we know that <laughs> it, it's one of Can't those things really, that, yeah absolutely it's one of those things where red pill and blue pill from the matrix isn't it but it's one of those things that many people want to know what's going on behind the scenes but they don't really want to know for the right reason because sometimes and that's not being patronizing uh, sometimes people want to know because they want to know they want to know the answers and actually you're better off when you get the answer sometimes you're better off going ah the journey was better than the answer. Yep. When actually some people want to know the answers because they want to make the answers as good as they can possibly make them. And I, I, I think that was part of when I did my master's. That was part of the development of, of worlds and the ideas of worlds is that 
mythology is important. You never give everything away. If you give everything away, then there is nothing left. If you give all the answers, if you tell everybody that this is the way it all is and it's all worked out and that's, yeah. you know, then, then they go, oh, and then you say, well, or, and then you leave it. That's that's pretty really important, isn't it? Because I, I, I made that note when I was doing my Kickstarter and when I got mine up and running, there were a few others running alongside mine. They were, they were basically pitching the whole synopsis and the plot and the characters and i remember thinking well, i'm not going to tell everybody that <laughs> <I'm thinking> that <laughs> completely because a i hadn't worked out b yeah sure. I, even if i had worked out i wouldn't have told it because my kind of instinct as a writer basically tells me if i tell you the story there's yeah. there's almost an element of i can't be bothered to write it now because i've, I've told it and yeah, i absolutely. want to be the first one to read my story if that makes sense and you almost lose some of the energy so there was very much a case of not exactly what you say don't give away too much because the suspense yes okay the suspense is killing you but that's the fun bit yeah absolutely and you know and that's always going to be part of the memory of reading the book and it's always going to be the moment that your favorite author released a new book and you went to the bookshop and you you saw it and you went and got it and then you went home that trip home and that moment that you purchased the book is just as important as reading yeah yeah because ultimately that's that's part of the memory you know yeah and i i think i mean i was i was similar to you in that i didn't put any of my writing of the actual novel up because i knew that it would change and i knew it would need approval anyway I, I think I could have done, you know, I could have put a teaser or something on, but if I'd done it, then I would have put it up in a way that effectively made you want to know more. Yeah, I, I, I did. It would specifically tasked to do that because there's no point otherwise. And that's that might sound cynical and, and slightly Machiavellian, but you want your reader to, to hook in and, and enjoy the experience with you. Yeah. And you want the experience to be the best possible experience it can be. So no, that's fantastic. Yeah, and that, that, that really makes sense. So, um, just kind of in closing then everyone's been asked this question so you're probably prepped for it but and it did because i was asked first it caught me a little bit on the flyers so i had to think think about it as i was going through but from elite dangerous itself i mean harking back to your thoughts about the original elite and the space dredges and all that kind of good stuff what is it you're hoping to see in elite dangerous itself i think seeing things that have been written in the fiction realized in the game okay yeah probably the biggest thing there are one or two things are oh, i would love them to do like lave radio <laughs> inside elite dangerous yeah. or all the all the little nods and what have you to I things think, that are, i'm sure we'll thoughts. probably find jaunty bass somewhere in <laughs> world or, or something like one of the proposals I put forward on the writers' forum was to have some original games in the universe, so that there are there are particular card games and, and particular things that, that people play that are slightly different to the ones that we know, you know, in modern day. Yeah. And some of the submissions I put forward are sort of variations on poker and variations on other things. But there is one that is really different, really, really different, which is a game of three-dimensional chess inside a cube for three players. <laughs> And they could they could write it into the game. It's not hard. Good. <laughs> and it's totally no one has has come up with something like that in any other computer game that I know of. So, you know, I, I get I, the impression that they're up for that because I remember when the Jaunty thing was going on the campaign. One of the dev diaries, David Braben, came on and talked about Jaunty Bass on Jaunty World, and he just had a mischievous glint in his eye. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, yeah, he he gets this. He he loves that kind of. 
breaking game, and it's gonna it's gonna be subtle. It's not something that's gonna be immersion breaking. No, people who aren't no. familiar with the background. But for those of us who really kind of lived and breathed the game, twenty twenty five years ago, thirty years ago, we're gonna go. Aha, yeah, got that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, seeing things like, I don't know, if um, Reclamation as a story has a mining operation going on in, in 3229, when we turn up at, uh, in 3300, you know, we're in the game, there's a boatload of anacondas coming back from one of your star systems laden with all these minerals and everything else, and we end up bombing them and, and stealing all the stuff. That'd be fantastic, yeah. because it will, it will show immediately that your plot is kind of is, is kind of translated into the game. Not that I'm giving away your plot, of course. Oh, no, no. Uh, well, <laughs> I haven't got an anaconda yet. Maybe I will. Uh, well, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant stuff anyway Alan it's been a pleasure really enjoyed uh, doing this good for you on behalf of Labour Radio but I'm very much conscious I've uh, I've got a meter running on my Cobra and parking here at Labour is pretty damned expensive nowadays so I need to get back back into hyperspace back into which space but um, I shall leave you to it anything any closing words you want to uh, give to the uh, Labour Radio community I know it would be, it'd be cheesy to say something about the revolution well you know? yeah. <laughs> Leave the revolution. Leave the revolution. Uh, you know, have a safe trip, Drew. Yeah. I think that will do. <laughs> Thank you very much, Commander. <laughs>